0: this is like the last great hope of humanity. We're looking looking at a room that if we don't do what we have to do to take care of the kids, nobody else is going to. It's up to us. The, The urgency that I like talking about is the urgency that I practice with every single day. It is up to us. If we don't do it, who else will? So I'm so glad you guys are here. And who put this into me? I know Dr. and Jeannie. Jeannie was certainly an unbelievable inspiration to me, and I missed her terribly. <clears throat> but I had the good fortune, as did Dr. Tony, to have Dr. Mary Webster as my teacher. And this moment here was a life-changing moment for me because he was adjusting my son, Tom, who was a month old there. And as he's talking to, as he's adjusting, he's talking to me, and he says this word to me which we just like lost over at school because this, I graduated in the 80s, it, autism, the word autism came out in this conversation. And he said, essentially, Drew, you've got to, to start really focusing more on kids on the spectrum spectrum with, with autism because I'm seeing this, I'm seeing more of it in my practice here in Atlanta, you really need to start looking at this. And I was like, autism, autism, autism. And he, just, he got this thing in my head that I haven't been able to get out now for 30 something years. Because this is what's happened since our conversation. Is, is That conversation was a little bit before this chart. So in 1995 or so, to all the way up to 2020, 800% increase in autism. 800% increase in autism. So what used to be my number one kid in my practice, the number no one kid in practice, the reason I saw them was of ear infections when I graduated 89. Now it's this. This is unbelievable change. <clears throat> One in five children have a mental health disorder in this country. One in five children. One in six. And now we're getting to my little talk here. One in six have a developmental disability. What is going on with our kids? What is going on with kids? I'll tell you what's going on. Is Navy kind of parent. That's what's going on. It's Navy us and we've got to get out there and serve more kids. And for the students who are in the room, you've got to get out there and serve more kids. Don't just adjust the grandmas. we got to get out there and say to the grandmas you are adjusting, I want to see your grandkids. I want to see your grandkids. Which one of your grandkids has one of the four A's? And they'll be like, what's the four A's? And will say autism, ADHD, allergies, asthma. One of the four A's, guess what percentage of children in this country that is? That's one third. One third. We got work to do, guys. But now, let's talk about this. Those milestones, right? If you miss a milestone, there's something wrong with the child's brain. Missing a milestone, skipping a milestone, sliding a milestone means there's something going on with that child's brain. And so many people out there say, oh, don't worry about this, don't worry about that. And then, we have to understand what milestones really are. We explain in simple terms to our patients. So this is my brainchild about what milestones are. Milestones are like apps that need to be updated. But what happens is every time you update the app, it changes. Right. So first you have the heads-up baby app, and then you have the rolling baby app, and then you have the crawling baby app, and then you have the walking and talking baby app. Right? And that's what happens. But you've got, you got to get that update, right? So here's an update. And if you're a neurotypical kid, when you get the little message ding, you got to update this. You can't use that app until it's updated. You just go into the app store and press update and it updates. But what happens if you don't get that message, or if you get this message, you get ever unable to install the update? This is what's happening to our kids. This is what's happening to our kids. They can't install the updates we've got to take control we've got to get into our communities and teach our parents that there's higher profit that can reconnect the disconnected kids and then in february of this year this comes out now i don't know about you but when i first heard about this i was i got the paper and it wasn't kind of online, the whole thing wasn't online. So I had to ask our librarian, "Like, the can you get this whole topic, this paper? So I got the look at it and I was reading it, and I was like, okay, walking has changed, okay, talking has changed, and I'm like, where's calling? Where's calling, where's calling? Where's calling, right, 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 right? So they call milestones milestones for a reason. They're not mild suggestions, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> They're milestones. So I'm a little confused as to how you can change something that's a milestone. So now, instead of 12 months to start talking, now it's 15 months. Now, instead of 12 months for uh, walking, now it's 18 months. How is that okay? And you speak to, I have a lot of patients and colleagues who are OTs and PTs and like, this is, we're not following these recommendations because these don't make any sense. This is not what we're seeing in clinical practice. It's not what I'm seeing, and it's not what they're seeing either. And crawling has been totally eliminated as a milestone. And you don't want to know why, like I said, I was searching, what what would make them do this, right? I was searching, and this is why. The removal of crawling milestone was not due to its unimportance, but rather because the scientific literature is inconsistent in how it defines crawling and at what age should be achieved. So what that means is, like, because we really can't figure it out, we just shouldn't have it as a milestone. Let's just brush it aside, right? Because, because it's too confusing. It's too confusing. So instead of saying, well, milestone is a range, or milestone should be like this, or function should be like this, they completely eliminated it altogether. And <clears throat> what they did during, in this whole 70 page document was they changed 67% of the milestones to older ages. You know what that looks like to me? That looks like delaying early intervention. Even though they're claiming that they're trying to have more intervention earlier, I am a little confused as to how that works. Because if a child isn't talking until 15 months or one to 18 months, isn't that longer? So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just confused at the tables here. And what I think this is, is I call this normalizing technology. We're making what looks, what's happening to everybody, we're making that okay because there are too many people out there who are making too much of a fuss. So let's just normalize it. So uh, I read this paper about milestones, and it talks about the timing, intensive, early intervention, how important it is. And one of the things they say is a one-hour increase in intervention actually creates a three-point increase in the the results of the child. So I'll give them one more hour. I'll give the kid eight adjustments in a month and give them some daily functional exercises to do it. Why not? There's an extra hour. So you, you get all kinds of points of intervention because of what we do in our practices. So one of the things, just as I have to mention this, because I mentioned this in all my talks, we've got to put our kids down on the floor when we look at them. We've got to keep up putting kids down on the floor. Don't just hold them in your laps, or have the parent hold them in their laps. Because if you go in and they're in the lap, and you can play with them, Adjust them and have them go on their mom's belly, simple things and five by five, five, and that's, the, that's all. You missed how they're interacting on the floor. Because the floor, the floor is should be the workplace of the child. Face down should be the workplace of the child once they're past six weeks old. So I urge you to make sure if you're not doing this already, to make sure you get the kids on the floor, and especially in your first exam, see what they're doing. Are they holding their head up? We just had a kid a couple days ago. New patient, little Munchkin, had a rough kind of a birth. Three months old, put him on the floor, he put, you put know, some uh, nice uh, towels on the floor, and he couldn't hold his head up. He's three months old. She's like, is that a problem? The doctor says it's not a problem. <laughs> but you know what that is? That child is self-excited right, up the cervicals, right, proprioception, occiput, atlas, start adjusting them in a couple of days, put him face down, down on our biometric bench, and he's already going to be upset after a few adjustments, right? This is how we have in our hands? In our hands. And we have to, so we put them on the floor. Are they rolling normally? right? When a child rolls, they're supposed to turn their head and move their arm, move feel like all in the same direction. Or are they rolling in opposite directions, paradoxically? Does the head go one way and the arm go like this? You can't roll like this. I'm always testing kids. I always say to yeah. parents, hey, are they rolling? No, you're having so trouble rolling. So I said, okay, let's put them on their side. Let's find out what it looks like for them to roll. And you put them on their side, you know, on the forearm the bench, you know, protecting them of course. And they go like this and you'll see them do this. And you start to say, hey, you have to train them at home, let's do an exercise. Get their head like this get them into this notion, you're going to go like this, move your head, because that's going to teach them how to roll. Whatever they can't do, we're going to teach them how to do. And why is it so important? And this is the thing I think that so many people are not connected with, is that problems as a baby that are not resolved turn into problems in school and beyond. So if you don't fix something, when it's a problem over here with the milestones, those problems can turn into all kinds of different things to their life. For instance, I don't know how many of you guys have read this paper. If you've heard me you talk, you've heard uh, my 12 hour talk, you know that I talk about this a lot. Movement analysis can be seen in the use of early language. of autism, I know this is a 90, 98 paper, it's a long paper, but this is the seminal paper, this is where it all began. When they started looking and saying, wow, movement may have something to do with uh, with autism. And so, from the title box. And then, how the Bidiman, Dr. Genie, turned me on to this book, uh, Manufacturing Children says, he talks about KISS syndrome, the torticollis kind of things. He said KISS syndrome turns into what he calls KISS syndrome, starting around 2, 3 years old. <clears throat> and kid is KISS-induced, and not which is perceptual issues and movement issues. So if you have this kind of issue when you're a baby, right, then that's going to, I, I don't care if the baby can somehow miraculously fix itself after a year because the muscles get, get, get stronger. That's not what it's about. This. How did the brain develop with its head like this? And that's going to create another kind of problem later on. And that's what we talked about in my SDK seminar. That's what we're still talking about. We have a brand new seminar coming up. I don't know if you guys heard about this yet. But myself and Dr. Andrew, and Dr. Lumia, uh, so we have part one, part two tongue tied seminars. So we have it coming up. So just let you know. You should check that out. I also talk about this when I talked to Dr. Stephen Porges. He uh, is an amazing mentor of mine. and Talking about the theory, so I always like showing this. Of course, I have my I have to my podcast. I <clears throat> I'm constantly talking about these things on my podcast. we talk talking about this all the time because we have to know if one thing doesn't work when they're early on, something else is going to go wrong. So here's an example. The laser muscle of the position now, but those putting two together. I, I don't if you guys have heard of this thing called massive sociogenic illness. So now there are kids who are watching TikTok and watching YouTube videos and starting to imitate some of the things going on on these videos. For example, I'll go back to <clears> that For example, you have this company here in England who's had millions and millions of followers on TikTok and on uh, Facebook and stuff. And what she, she has Tourette's. But what's been happening is the kids who are watching her videos are now starting to imitate her. So they're calling this a mass sociogenic illness out of the journal brain. This is something big. I had my first mass sociogenic illness patient a few weeks ago. So this is this is real. And it's not just happening in Europe. A lot of the stuff we have to talk about in Europe is happening right here in this country where our kids are so hooked on their cell phones and so hooked on social media and TikTok and these other things that this is what's happening. They're creating a mass sociogenic illness by imitating these other kids. So what happens when kids can't get their latest brain updated? It, it's called diastasis. It's called diastasis. What that means is, if, if you remember how the brain forms, right, the brain starts from below up and it it goes like this, but then when it starts growing into the prefrontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex starts going down and does top-down regulation. But what happens if there's a problem somewhere in the lower part of the brain, like the brain stem, where the primitive reflexes are? What happens if there's a problem there? And now upstream, there's other problems because of it. So if like you put a dam over here, and now upstream, there's going to be less water, there's going to be less information. So that's what's happening to the kids that we're seeing, is we're seeing these developmental diascesis because of this upstream effect. And what we, have, what we do as chiropractors is we are able, because of our amazing adjustments and the amazing functional neurological exercise we can give them, we are able to change their brains. Neuroplasticity, right? That's the name of my talk, Enhancing Pediatric Neuroplasticity. Because I have seen it over and over and over again. I'm going to tell you a story of this one little luncheon, right? She comes in on Monday that I've seen her for about four months. She's five years old, she's not walking. I've adjusted for about four months. Doing very gentle, tonal work with her. She's very, very afraid. She was hope and prodded and this stuff. Dad comes in on Monday and says, watch this stuff. And picks her, up, picks her up off his lap, stands her up like this and stops walking towards me with her. First steps I've ever seen her take. And he says, Dr. Rubin, you know what she said this weekend? She said, Daddy, I want to walk. Now here's a young girl who's been going to therapy for years, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's important. She needs muscle, build, and all that kind of stuff. But there's something about the chiropractic adjustment that changes that diocesis that nobody and nothing else but you and I do. And isn't that amazing? The gift that we have, the gift that we've been given through Dr. Larry Webster and through Jeannie and through the ICPA and through all these unbelievable. I mean, think about how many people this room is touching every single week. Think about that, but we have to, we need more because the the numbers that I showed before is going up and up and up and up. We have to reach more. And that is the urgency with which I speak. That is the urgency with which I come to you guys. That is the, the gratitude to see this many of you here on a Friday afternoon with whatever it took to get you here last night or this morning, whatever, to get you into this room because we've got to serve the kids. We've got to serve the pregnant mothers. It is up to us to do this sort of stuff. Brain-based hyper changes kids' trajectories from disconnected to reconnected. That is what we do. That is who we are. We can change kids' brains. We can take this functional neuroplasticity that exists in this little girl who's unable to walk and watch her walk. And it wasn't quick, it's not an instant thing. That's not what it's about. It's about slow and steady wins the race slow and steady wins the race. It's about setting up an office of safety, Dr. Told me. setting up an office of safety, of trust, and when you set up this place of safety and trust, now they can open up and you can watch them become the little kids that they can become. Thank you so much, guys, I appreciate it. <laughs>